And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Very excited to be joined today by Mr. Philip Philip Hecker. We're going to be talking about his company, Bento Engine, and talking a lot about the complicated, hard financial decisions a lot of us have to make on a, uh, I wouldn't say daily basis, but on a regular basis. And uh, especially Americans, we we seem to have a lot of financial issues in this country as as people and as a government both. Um, so it should be an interesting conversation today. Um, today's episode of Startup Puzzle is powered by Fullscale.io, which is, is my company. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more about what we do. Uh, Philip, welcome to the show, man. Matt, great to see you. I look forward to this conversation. You know, I'm hoping you we, we can talk about some uh, financial decisions that you know, maybe in the future I won't mess up, but I'm going to guess you're probably going to tell me I've already made some mistakes, but uh, should be fun conversation today. Indeed, indeed. And I'm sure you're like many of us. It's a mixed bag. I'm sure yeah. looking back, you've done some great decisions in your life. And I'm sure looking back, you'd like a do over for one or another. Well, so give us a little bit of your beef, uh, brief beef brief background um you worked at procter and gamble done done some cool stuff tell us a little bit about your background sure happy to um in terms of my professional background i'm happy to say i've done several things in my life so far i am as you allude to a procter and gamble trained brand manager so thinking about businesses managing pnls in a very client-centric way was beaten into me png style and frankly, has stayed with me ever since. I am also a recovering BCG consultant, five wonderful years in New York with the Boston Consulting Group, picking up a strategic tool or two before I then spent the next uh, 15 years on Wall Street at Deutsche Bank and JP Morgan in a number of senior leadership positions. I'm now on to my fifth professional gig, if you will, that as a startup fintech entrepreneur, that is what brings us together today, and I'm happy to talk about that journey. Well, so that's a drastically different career, right? Like, I myself could never imagine working at Procter and Gamble, Deutsche Bank. No, never in a million years would I want to work at any of those companies, giant companies. So here you are now in your own startup. Like, it's got to be a dramatic life change for you. Like, from a just life has got to be totally different. Spot on, Matt. And that makes it very, very exciting for me. <laughs> My dad and I, we keep on having discussions about this. He's back home in Germany. When he woke up one day being age 14, he knew he wanted to be an architect, design and build houses. And that's what he did for his entire life, happy as a clam. I happen to be different. There's not one thing that excites me. I guess I'm pretty easily excitable, although on paper, the gigs I've done so far look and feel quite different. 
I've enjoyed them all thoroughly. So That's if awesome. you will, I guess I'm looking for diversity of exposure, diversity of thinking and working in the gigs that I'm pursuing. Well, so we're going to talk a lot today about uh, financial decisions and stuff. But um, before we do that, I would love to hear more about Bento Engine and what led you to to start that and, and what you guys do. Yeah. So what is Bento Engine? I'm going to use some acronyms that our audience will be, I trust, familiar with. If not, you fill in the long forms. On the technical front, Bento Engine is a B2B SaaS solution we sell a integrated technology and content solution that finan to financial advisors okay. and their firms. We, in a B2B2C way, help financial advisors advise their clients and prospects on important moments that matter in the lives of those clients and prospects. You may wonder, what are these moments that matter? We break it down into three buckets. Uncle Sam, the government, gives us in the U.S. 15 age-based milestones that matter by law. You know, when you turn 50, you can make catch-up contributions in your retirement accounts and thus increase your tax-advantaged savings and investings rate. When you turn 62, you can start filing for Social Security benefits, although many of us will be better off waiting until later because that increases the monthly check we get. You see there's 15 of these age-based milestones where Americans have to make important decisions that affect their financial well-being. There's also life events that are less predictable, getting married, divorced, having a child, getting sick, buying a business, selling a home, or moving to Florida. There are easily dozens of life events that not always happen, but oftentimes happens to the clients of our financial advisors that we serve. And when they happen, they represent major opportunities to lead with advice and from an advisor point of view, capture money in motion. So you get the feeling there's dozens of moments that matter. That's how we think about it. It's jobs to be done design thinking that we apply to the space that we equip our advisors to be of support with. Real quick, how do we do that? Via APIs, we connect into the CRM systems broadly used in our industry. There, our algorithms constantly scan the entire book of business to identify upcoming advice opportunities in the lives of the clients. And when we find one, we not only alert the advisor in their CRM, we also equip them with compliance pre-approved content for the all-important next step, which is actually acting upon the alert engaging and serving the client. That's a little bit about the what. That is Bento Engine. I'm happy to dive into the why. Or are there any comments or questions on the what? Well, so I just had a baby. So would your guys' software be able to pick up somehow via APIs and public data and then know that and then tell the advisor? Like that's that's like part of the hook of your what you're looking for? We focus on information that the advisors have in their own CRM. Okay. We are at this stage deliberately not scraping LinkedIn or the internet okay. and doing somewhat you know, dicey stuff along those dimensions. We strictly focus on readily available quality information in the CRM. We mine that and make that work even harder for the advisors. Okay. You may or may not know this. Many advisors cover hundreds of clients' family. Yeah. 
So staying on top of all the moments that matter is really hard and difficult, which is why today in terms of state of play, many advisors do this work manually, but they do it for their best clients only. When you look into the middle of the book, the bottom of the book, that is oftentimes woefully underserved and represents a massive built-in organic revenue growth opportunity from our perspective. So in a way, Matt, scaling the great work that great advisors do for their best clients and democratizing it, if you will, bringing it to the middle and the bottom of the book is what we're all about. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And and I forgot to mention earlier, big congratulations to you guys to being one of our top startups in Connecticut. We're doing a whole series on that. And you guys are one of those, one of those uh, companies in the series. So congrats on that. Appreciate um, that, Matt. And quick shout out here to the emerging Connecticut tech ecosystem, the fintech buddies in particular. Love the dynamics we see here in this great state of Connecticut. Awesome. So uh, follow-up question about the way that you guys work. So, you know, you're, are you guys totally dependent on these CRM systems and the data that they collect? Like, are you totally dependent on what they do? By so they design, don't collect good data, there's nothing you can do? Spot on. It is, for better or worse, garbage in, garbage out. You know, okay. a lot rests on the quality and availability of the data. Now, let me explain why. We do that deliberately because we operate in a highly regulated industry right. where you must abide by certain laws and regulations, in particular when it comes to PII, personal identifiable information. So what we can do in kosher ways, in reliable, scalable ways, might be different to other industries. Okay. Also, in terms of the culture of the industry, it is, for better or worse, a very conservative you know, mindset right. and set of stakeholders. Having said that, the opportunities to mine simple data and provide, quote-unquote, simple alerts and then workflows is still massive. Here is what I mean. The state of financial advice in this great country, despite our best collective attempts, is not where it could or should be. You may know this, 68% of Americans pass without a will, the most simple of estate planning documents. 64% of Americans do not know what a 529 plan is, the key vehicle to save for college retirement, yep. given your recent birth. You know, congrats on that front. I trust you know what a 529 plan is. You just Only, reminded me, though, I need to contribute some more. Yes, you do. Only I'm getting on my sticky notes. I'm writing it down. Very good. Very good. See, we have uh, actionable advice at this point already. Awesome. Uh, one last data point. The uh, retirement, um, sorry, yeah, the retirement account catch-up contributions I mentioned earlier at uh, age 50, only 10 to 15% of those eligible actually do so. You get the sense Americans leave billions, if not trillions of dollars of tax advantage dollars on the table every year because they do not avail themselves of all the tax advantaged savings and investings opportunities out there. That is the opportunity we're leaning into and we're doing it via their caring financial advisors. That's awesome. Well, so tell us, let's talk more about, we talked about navigating uh, big financial decisions that 
a lot of us um, have to deal with throughout our life. And I'd like to talk more about that today. And um, where where would you start? Like, I, I feel like uh, I feel like as Americans, most of us are pretty financially illiterate, and that, I think that's the first the first part of the problem. It is the first part of the problem. And by the way, unfortunately, we are in good company when you look at the standard of financial literacy around the globe. Um, Starting early on financial literacy is key to success. I'm sure you're following the debate along that front. It is commendable that more and more states make financial literacy a part of their standard curriculum. Schools, yes, can help on that front. However, I hope we all concur it's really the family, it's really the home where certain attitudes and behaviors get shaped from an early age. So what we do on that front, Matt, is every two years as the children of our advisor's clients age, the advisor receives an alert in the CRM and a package of age-appropriate information, guidance, and activities to share with their family. It starts at the tender age of four. Yes, four. And then every two years, the family receives guidance and very importantly, activities that they can do to hone the behaviors of the child. For example, at the tender age of four, we start with the proverbial piggy bank. You've all heard about it. Training the muscle of delayed gratification, learning to put money away physically, literally helping the child to experience that at age four is important. As the child matures, six or eight, depending on, you know, the evolution, we recommend that families break that monolithic piggy bank apart and divide the finite pool of money across three glass jars. And these three glass jars are clearly labeled saving, spending, and sharing. And they represent three competing interests that the child can pursue with the finite amount of money. You get the feel it is very thoughtful activities that build on each other to build financial literacy in the youngins, in the next generation. And by the way, if and when financial advisors do that, everybody wins. The goodwill and trust they get from parents is second to none. The opportunity to connect early and constructively with the next generation of the client family is important to strategic thinking firms. And I would add, we as a society all benefit from more literal and liter- financial, financially literate and responsible participants. That is just one you know, way to start early. I discussed the 15 H points that matter Previously, we can double-click. I discussed the life events, which are more dynamic in nature as well. The sum total of that, Matt, is that all along the life journey of clients and prospects, there are dozens and dozens of opportunities for caring advisors to proactively engage and serve their families, and that's what we're supporting. Well, I love that about helping kids and I have five kids, so I've got to be on like your bulk, (laughs) the bulk system for this. Like I'm going to be like every few months going to have one that's going to trigger this thing. Um, We've got four here at home. I'm only slightly behind you. Yeah. 
So yeah, I just had number five. I got a, I I got them from fourteen years old all the way down to congrats, to man. So, yeah, it's it's crazy around here. I'm I'm glad when they're going back to school. Thank you. And let me Please. give you a tip, if I may, for the age of fourteen. Age of fourteen in many many states is the age at which children can legally start earning income. Right. To do so, they need something called the working papers. You can get them either from your school system or your local government. And then we encourage families to have the children indeed start earning income at the tender age of 14. And then we suggest that they don't necessarily spend all that money, but instead open custodial IRA accounts under the kid's name, which are tax advantaged, you know, savings and investing vehicle so that the children learn not only to save and invest, but also to do so in tax-advantaged ways. Right. And then the children can watch their early investments compound in tax-advantaged ways over the decades. That's a very formative lesson you can start doing with your 14-year-old. That's that's great. And that's something I think about all the time with them is trying to figure that out. And even at 14, like, they don't really have money. They don't really care about money, you know, I guess beyond buying like lunch at school or something, right? Like they're, you know, they don't really care as much about money yet. But uh, I started working, I was 14. I had a summer job and, uh, you know, a year or two ago, I'll never forget, you're going through the pandemic and all these things and shortage of people, like people won't work. And I feel like we still have some of that, right? Like restaurants and stuff can't hire people. And I'm going through the drive-thru at McDonald's and uh, some kid is, you know, takes my money. And I swear this kid looked like he was nine years old. But he was probably like 13. And I'm like, hey, we finally found somebody that can work. <laughs> somebody that wants to work. And uh, this super, super young kid working at McDonald's, like putting him to work, man. Like that's that's who's going to save our country. We need these young kids to work. Nobody wants there to work. There we go. Let me share my first job story. Coincidentally, also age 14, I delivered flyers you know, on a bicycle from house to house, you know, stuffing flyers for a local shop advertisements into the mailboxes going house by house. And it was a crew of three of us covering, you know, a certain part of my hometown of Düsseldorf, Germany. One afternoon, it was raining cats and dogs for hours and hours. And I was delivering those leaflets and I came back home to the shop utterly wrenched. My fellow two participants, I met them, you know, at closing out, were dry. And I go, guys, like, it was raining cats and dogs. Like, why are you dry? And they laughed at me and said, we didn't deliver. They put them, you know, in a trash can. At first, it made me feel very bad as though I did, like, something silly and stupid going out in the rain and doing the job. Having said that, on the way back home and with reflection from the family, it made me feel good having done the right thing and actually putting the work, earning the money. I think we both agree one can learn very important lessons by engaging in work from as early on as possible. Well, and I think that's one of the most important things that we need to teach our kids is that work ethic, right, is, is hard work. And my, uh, my wife has three younger brothers, and uh, none of them had even worked into their 20s. And some of them went to college and whatever, never worked during college. And, and I feel like kids need to have like some really crappy jobs. So they also understand the importance of like, 
pursuing a, a, a more, you know, a call it worthwhile career of some form, right. Than working the drive through at McDonald's or whatever. Um, people need to have some of those jobs. So they understand, like, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Yeah. Look, exposure to the real world in its many beautiful manifestations is a healthy thing. And yes, being exposed to the spectrum is even better. Absolutely. Well, I do want to remind everybody, if you're looking for software developers, Fullscale can help, especially visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Our platform at Fullscale can help you define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team today. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Well, um, do you do you feel like there is a big movement, though, uh, in our country, maybe around the world, around people not not as many people working, people waiting to enter the job market at later ages. Seems like there's something going on there. Yes, but I take it with a grain of salt when I look at the statistics because how countries define the unemployment rate yeah, frustratingly yeah. differs. You know, how Europeans do it is quite different from Americans. So labor participation rates, you know, have to be taken with a grain of salt. I, from my end, observe in our industry, in wealth management, a dearth of real human talent. You know, the industry is growing, it's highly attractive, it's very, very profitable, and yet we as an industry struggle to replace the many, the many aging advisors that are about to retire. Wealth management is a wonderfully attractive and rewarding career I would hope that more and more people check it out in earnest. Actually, Matt, I have to put a plug in here. I am so passionate about raising the educational standards in our great industry that I am an advisor to Columbia University here in New York City in launching a new master's program in wealth management. Nice. And that's just a wonderful thing because it allows not only people from within the industry to up their credentials. It also allows industry shifters, you know, career changes to come into the industry via highly respected, very effective academic credentialing. So if there are listeners out there that are interested in learning more, not only about wealth management, but how to become a efficient and effective advisor, simply type Columbia University and wealth management into a web browser of your choice. Awesome. So for those of us who are not super familiar with uh, wealth management and financial advisors, um, th there has to be a whole spectrum of it, right? Like you've got people on one end that have, you know, millions of dollars in wealth and, and have maybe family office and all these kind of things. And Goldman Sachs is messaging you every month, trying to wine and dine you to give them your money. And like, that's a whole different world, right? And yeah, on the other end, Matt, you've, you know, if you're Matt, and then on the other end, you've got, you know, some senior citizens that just have social security and they're trying to figure out how are we going to retire and make things ends meet. And you got lots of people in between. So when you talk about financial advisors, I mean, are there people, are there people that help even the, the senior citizens that just have a few dollars or trying to figure out how to navigate that side of it? Like, where does that spectrum of that kind of lie? Look, the spectrum of needs and client profiles out there is very, very broad, as you suggest. Let's not forget that a healthy chunk of America actually has sort of negative net worth yeah. and is living sort of paycheck to paycheck. Those will be hard to serve 
sustainably by any human advisor. Their employer benefits program, nonprofit, robo-advisor type solutions can, should, and do help already. If you go more into the affluent and then the high net worth, ultra high net worth segments, those have been historically the prime focus area of human advisors simply to make their business models, you know, work. It's interesting now, Matt, as technologies such as Bento Engine and many others come to life, we see that the loading ratios of advisors, the capacity to serve more and more clients effectively and profitably is increasing. So bad news, as I mentioned earlier, we struggle to generate new human advisors. Good news, the technologies that support human advisors are advancing quite rapidly right now, making them more efficient and effective, and thus increasing our capacity as an industry to serve more and more families well. How common is it these days that companies provide some sort of consulting, financial advisory kind of service as part of their employment benefits. Is that is that getting common? Financial wellness type programs are on the rise indeed, quite prevalent amongst the large firms by now and increasing too now more in the SMB type segments. So yes, not only bare bone retirement plan type packages, but also more meaningful financial wellness, literacy, and education packages are increasingly being offered by firms, large and small alike. So that is a welcome, you know, dynamic. I mean, to your point earlier, right? Like there's a huge percentage of Americans that are probably living paycheck to paycheck. They're not very affluent. They don't, they don't have like hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest. So a lot of financial advisors, you know, probably overlook them. But it would be great if corporations could somehow kind of somehow fund those financial advisors to go ahead and help these people um, that still need help. And may, maybe the fact that they need help is the reason they haven't they haven't got out of that trap. Um, but being able to help that that group of population, I think, is probably highly underserved would be, would be great as an employer for me to help my employees. I would, I would love that. So. Spot on, spot on, which is why more and more firms are engaging and leveraging these financial wellness type of programs. Yeah. which lead with, you know, scalable digital advice being tailor-made and delivered to the company's employees. And they do that out of very understandable reasons. Of course, they care about the employees and want them to thrive. That is one motivation. But they're selfish as well in a good way. Study after study has shown that financial stress can be a real distraction for employees from being as productive as they can be. So to avoid and mitigate financial stress, uh, employers are well advised to engage in and offer these type of programs. So we talk about life events. Obviously, buying or selling a home has to be one of them. I'm curious if you have any tips for for those out there in regards to that specifically. I mean, if that's um, in regards to financial advice. Um, I do. And first off, to to dimensionalize that moment that matters, per year in the US, roughly 6 million homes change hands. 6 million. That means there's 12 million, when you think about both sides of that transaction, 12 million buyers and sellers that would benefit from financial advice 
on how to structure the transaction from a financial, tax, and estate planning point of view. Good advisors recognize that and help the buyer and or seller to think through questions such as the following. Is buying or selling right now truly a good decision? What is driving it? Are you prepared for what comes next? Meaning, if you're selling the home, do you have the next you know, way of living locked in, lined up already? They help structure the transaction, think through the most advantageous way of structuring the deal, keeping the financial and tax considerations in mind. Taxes, I alluded to, together with the accountants and tax partners of the um, buyer or seller, they think through, again, how to structure the transaction, keeping financial and tax considerations in mind. Then it goes into financial planning land. Now that you've had the big inflow of cash or the big outflow of cash, which, by the way, is oftentimes the single largest transaction that client will ever make in their lives, how does that affect your overall financial plan? Good financial planners make sure that long-term planning for retirement and other goals gets reflected in both the buying and selling decision. Last not least, titling of accounts, making sure that should something bad happen, you know, that the, the, the family is covered is important. Insurance considerations of massive importance for the deal itself and then umbrella and so on thereafter. I hope I didn't sticker shock you but gave you a feel for the multiple dimensions that the transaction entails. Well, and it, it always seems so in the US, I feel like there's a dichotomy of you got certain parts of the country where housing is so expensive that people can barely afford it. And then, you know, I'm in the Kansas City area where houses are much more affordable, like living in California costs five times more money than it costs here. But then here where I live, it's like people, you know, buy too much house, right? They, they, they go and get the giant mortgages that they don't really need and um, kind of set themselves up to be house poor, you know, and is that still one of the biggest problems that wealth advisors have to fight with against their clients? That is a dynamic that is all too real. And I would emphasize what you said. America is such a large, diverse, heterogeneous country where you find very, very different living situations, setups, and costs of living. I, a few years ago, asked the question, what does it take to be in the top 1%, you know, the proverbial top 1% yeah. of wealthy people in different parts of the country? And as you can imagine, the differences are flabbergasting, you know? To be in the top 1%, it may take only, quote unquote, only high six digits in certain areas, whereas to be in the top 1% in Boca Raton, this is a few years ago, you needed more than $11 million. Oh, wow. To be in the top 1%. $11 million would put you for sure, you know what I mean, in the top 1%, if not 0.001%. In most other zip yeah. codes. So that's just a way to think about what does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be wealthy is always subjective and very much depends on the context that you're living in. 
Yeah, everything in life is is you know isn't good or bad until it's compared to something else, right? It's it's all totally totally different based on comparison. We are relative <laughs> creatures. We are yeah. relative creatures. Well, um, what other financial tips do you have for those who are out there that um, are, are common problems that maybe we don't think about? Maybe maybe you have some great great suggestions around. For most of us, not all. But for most of us, it's a good call to think about working with a financial professional in addition to any legal tax and accounting support that we might be utilizing. Okay. We as Bento Engine very much believe in the value add that a good financial advisor can add, not only when it comes to investing or managing money, but providing impactful advice during those moments that matter that creates real after-tax value for the clients. Let me give you an example to bring that to life. I mentioned H.62 earlier when Americans turn 62. If you put in during your working years, you can start pulling Social Security benefits. You can also wait until later, up until age 70, which would then increase your monthly benefit amount. That's the trade-off. Recently, the Federal Reserve of Bank of Atlanta sponsored a study executed by the Boston University team that looked at real-life Social Security benefit decisions that Americans are making. And broadly speaking, 90% of Americans would be better off to wait until later to file for benefits, but only 10% actually do so. And take a wild guess, by taking benefits too early, what do they leave on the table in terms of lifetime benefits? As far as like a percentage basis? Yeah, or dollar amount. Oh, I bet it's I bet it's 30% of their... $182,000 on average. Wow. So by starting taking benefits too early, Americans on average leave, shortchange themselves by $182,000 of lifetime benefits. Hmm. So these moments that matter, financial advice around those age milestones, those life events, can oftentimes have real quantifiable after-tax value. So I guess the call to action here is think about working with a human financial advisor and don't think of that advisor as only managing your money. It's giving you advice that creates real value for you and your family. Awesome. Thank you for that advice. Well, I'd love to talk to you a little more about uh, Bento Engine and tell me, you know, you, you've been doing this for a couple of years. Um, talk to us about, you know, the growth of the company and, and, building the product and, and, you know, what, what, how has that process been? It's been a wild ride, man. It's been a long, windy journey. Uh, you're spot on two years old as a Delaware C Corp, did some research and business planning prior to that as a small LLC. At first, two of us bouncing around ideas, exploring opportunities, writing the business case. It was clear to me that I'm not a solopreneur. I would have never dared to do this by myself. This is I your first, first exactly. time. Exactly. It's my first gig. You first know, I'm a first time, time right? entrepreneur. 
I'm decidedly not a solopreneur. So I bounced around the business case with a good B-school friend of mine who is a highly successful serial entrepreneur. Writing the business case with him, key to success. His name is Jeff Wald, very prolific, great guy. Very thankful for him being our chairman to this day. We quickly assembled a team of deep wealth management experts, cutting edge technologists, and Jeff Wald as a serial entrepreneur. And it was clear to us that we didn't want to build Bento in a black box. We didn't do a stealth mode kind of thing. We did the opposite. We built the technology and the content together with six innovation-friendly pilot partners that believed in our vaporware, that wanted to help us build a new system, a new idea. So we built the technology, we built the content over the summer of 2021. And in October of that year, we felt like we had an MVP. There was a there there. We had a robust product that we could go to market with. Eternally grateful for the six firms that partnered with us to take a risk. It is fascinating how they helped shape what Bento has become. I would go as far as saying, you know, real innovation wouldn't be happening, would not be possible in our industry if it weren't for frontline firms out in the trenches partnering with crazy idea folks like us. So October 21 started selling. Now, Matt, we're 70 plus firms on platform, 10 FTEs. We are a COVID baby, meaning we are fully dispersed yeah. up in the cloud. Azure, yeah. here we go. We range our team from Westport, Connecticut to LA, from Winnipeg, Canada to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And we don't have an office. We don't have a file cabinet. We don't have a mainframe. It is fully dispersed, cloud-based working for us. I love it. So when you... You know, you started this as a tech company. You're you're not a software engineer, right? That's not your background, and neither for your co-founder either. Ne none of you were tech. Correct. That tech piece was the hardest piece to get into place, and here is how that unfolded. Interesting story. My serial entrepreneur buddy had a stable of dev shops that he likes to work with. Yeah. One of them up in Canada called Dispatch, doing wonderful work on many fronts, including CRM integrations, which is the theme, the topic, you know, that we were after. Long story short, we worked with them at first on an arm's length contractual basis, you know, building an MVP. It's two brothers leading that place. And one of them at some point came to us and said, hey, guys, this is interesting. This is cool. This is fun. I want in. And we made him a co-founder and he is now our CTO. Awesome. So via a dev shop arm's length built the MVP type of relationship, we found our permanent CTO. Okay. Kind of wonderful, kind of lucky. And I have to say, I'm very, very impressed by the tech talent, not only in the US, but also north and south of the border. We tap into Canada and Brazil quite a bit. There is tech talent everywhere. And, you know, that's my, my company full scale. You know, we're west of the border, 8,000 miles in the Philippines, and we have 300 employees. And uh, that's, that's what we do, too. So there's 
tell people all the time, there's talent everywhere. You know, 90% of software developers are not in the United States. 90% are not here. And there, there's talent everywhere. So Ukraine, Poland, you know where the pools are. Yeah, they're all over the place. So uh, my last, I had a company called Stackify that sold to software developers. And uh, we we had customers in 60 different countries that were dev teams. And we, uh, we had visitors to our website from every country in the world. Um, you know, visiting our blog and our website, stuff like that. There's there's smart people everywhere. And as an entrepreneur, the the struggle is just finding the right talent wherever you can find the talent. So lucky Bingo. for you, you've, you've, you found the team you needed. So that's good. It's good for you. Bingo. So what's what's next for you guys? Um, just growing? You guys think you'll raise some more money? You, you think you'll sell this thing one day? What do you, what do you What's the plan? So um, let's take those questions in turn. You're spot on. Last summer, we did a kind of angel round, you know, raising some funds from a crew of wonderful industry insiders that are supporting our journey and helping us in many, many ways, truly adding, you know, value beyond the dollars. Uh, we are now scaling our offering. We built out our solution set. When people go on to bentoengine.com, if you're interested, you find five solutions in the bento box. No pun intended. We feel good on the product. And for now, it's about scaling that and getting distribution might behind it. Yeah. We deliberately started in the long tail of small wealth management firms in our fragmented you know, industry. And now after perfecting the offering, we're moving upstream, we're attacking the enterprise space. So we're changing our sales and distribution game to now also serve ever larger firms. As you can appreciate, when you make the shift sort of from retail type clients, where yeah. operators are empowered decision makers, to the big fish enterprises, that is an entirely different kettle of fish. Totally different. Very, very different sales process, set of stakeholders and buying behaviors. And that's an interesting, you know, learning curve yeah. for us. It A lot longer sales cycle too. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. And again, many more stakeholders and dynamics to be, to be aware of. When it comes to your exit, whatever monetizing strategy type question, I would emphasize that we as a team, we're very mission-driven, bringing better advice beyond investing to more American families is what motivates us and drives us. In that spirit, we are having a culture of building to last. This is not a build-to-flip type shop and scenario. We truly make all decisions with a long-term, sustainable, having Bento stand on its own two feet mindset. Having said that, the fintech space is a hot one. There is lots of M&A still going on within fintech. And, you know, people come knocking, exit routes, potential exit routes are becoming clear fast. Okay. Well, good luck to you. And um, I, I love what you're doing, the story and financial, you know, management and all that is, is always a struggle for people. Um, and again, congrats for being one of the top startups in Connecticut and being part of that series. Um, reminder, everybody, if you need help with uh, software development, definitely keep full scale my company in, in mind. Um, so as we round out the episode, do you have any other any other final tips, words of wisdom, you know, for other entrepreneurs um, um, about two, anything? Two, two, if I may. Number yeah. one, 
in particular, perhaps as a Procter & Gamble trained brand manager, the importance of client research and ongoing feedback loops cannot overemphasize the importance, in particular early on your journey, to get the quantitative and qualitative customer research right. Ask a thousand questions, observe people using your product, and really go deep on that front would be nudge number one. Nudge number two is we found it very helpful to utilize the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, as a framework of organizing ourselves and keeping the trains running on time in roughly the same direction. So if you're not familiar with it, check out the entrepreneurial operating system. From my perspective, a wonderful, proven successful framework for increasing internal operational efficiencies and aligning your entire company in a somewhat coherent way. So in some of the big firms that you worked at, did they use EOS at all? Uh, it has very many manifestations and names. You know, I'm dating myself, but the balance scorecard system from the 80s and 90s in many, many big places is still being utilized. Again, it may have different names by now. If you ask me and when I step back, all of them are no more, no less than a series of commonsensical, you know, activities yeah. and mindsets. If you ask me, there's no magic about them. It's if you if you step back, commonsensical stuff, but it needs to be integrated well. And to your earlier point, it needs to be executed well. The most important things about business are always fundamentals. You know, it's it's the fundamentals. If you can't do that right, none of the rest of it matters. So, but we never put enough focus on the fundamentals. <laughs> Bingo. So client input and EOS would be the two nuggets on the way yeah. out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Again, this is Philip Hecker. Um, your company, Bento Engine, is at bentoengine.com. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And again, congrats for being one of the top startups in Connecticut. Thank you, Matt, and go Connecticut. All right. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.